Welcome to Psych Path Pod, Navigating Academic and Career Pathways. I am Dr. Jenna Bame Lawton, your host, and with me today is Dr. Elliot Pallets. Welcome, Elliot, to our podcast. Thanks for having me, Jenna. I appreciate it. Looking forward to talking to you today. Yeah, definitely. So typically what I just want to start off with is a little bit about your background, uh, starting with maybe undergrad, um, kind of thinking through what made you interested in psychology? Were there any particular courses or experiences you had as an undergrad that kind of drove you in that direction? Yeah, uh, that I, I started out um, in my freshman year, I didn't take any psychology courses, uh, but I did take an intro psych course in my second semester of freshman year, and I really, really enjoyed it. And part of it was the professor. She was really engaged and very interested in the topic, but I also found it um, pretty easy to excel in the class, but also enjoyable. And so as you took that first class, um, did you then, did that inspire you to go uh, into psych right away or were you a different major prior to that? No, uh, actually when I started college, I was very interested in, in sort of, I didn't really know the difference between the two, but I was very interested in becoming an athletic trainer and uh, sort of saw sports medicine as kind of related to that in some respects. Uh, and then I wound up, um, the college I started at was a small uh, state college and transferred to a larger college afterwards and, uh, and started out there kind of pre-med. So after the transfer, I kind of dropped my interest in, in athletic training and, uh, you know, I had most, most undergraduates go through at least three, you know, <laughs> changes and majors. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I decided, um, to be a biology major because I had to pick something for pre-med and, and kind of was there, was taking, continuing to take psychology classes. They did make me take another intro class, actually, hmm. even though my credits did transfer. <laughs> so I wound up taking two intro courses, uh, but it was fine because I really enjoyed it and continued to take uh, upper level psychology courses from that point on. And at some point I realized I'm, I have so many psychology classes under my belt and I'm really not liking chemistry all that much. Mm. And, you know, went into the advisor's office at one point and said, hey, how do you help me change my major to psychology? And was that a pretty easy experience to be able to transfer over from a more STEM focus to psych? Yeah, there wasn't really... I actually got a lot of support from psychology faculty. I didn't really remember connecting with anybody in the biology department there, but you know, I was I was my first year as a transfer student there. I could understand why maybe I wasn't on the radar, uh, but it was fine. I figured out things on my own and and was able to to move over and and do psychology. Awesome. Do you remember any particular courses that kind of steered you in a particular direction um, that were really meaningful to you? Yeah, I mean, that first class uh, I took, that first intro class really sparked my, my interest. Uh, my dad is a clinical psychologist. Oh, okay. And he actually, he actually <laughs> this is an interesting story, he actually, uh, he, had, he had some some, some hiccups with his career. Sure. And I think he sort of had a little distaste for like <laughs> the field that he chose. I, I think he would probably have a change of attitude now. But back then when I was just starting college, 
he encouraged me to explore other career options. <laughs> no psych, no psych. No psych. Yeah. So, um, but once I took that first class, I was hooked. And then once I transferred and got into um, probably the one class that was the most interesting to me, um, or the two, I took a social psychology class, which with a, actually with a graduate teaching assistant, I really loved that. Uh, but then I wound up taking a class in psychology of learning and it was a very challenging class. Most of the students in the class were like, I have no clue. <laughs> and, you know, they were coming to me for help and it just, it all seemed pretty intuitive to me. Uh, and so it, I just connected with that. From that point on, I really liked the professor who taught the class to and his style and, and the way that he um, set up his in-class activities were very engaging, stimulating. I went on to take a research methods course with him. And then after that, I uh, was able to work in his lab for three semesters uh, on something called an independent study credit, which maybe would be similar to like an honors project. To the honors project that we have here. Yes. And can you tell me a little bit more about that experience? What did you take away from being a lab assistant? Well, I, I learned, I think that really prepared me for a for a career, uh, or at least going to graduate school in experimental psychology, because I had to run experiments for graduate student dissertation projects, <laughs> you know, while they were teaching or, you know, doing grading or doing the things that they needed to do. Some of them had families, mm -hmm. you know, I would actually conduct, like I would actually, it was an animal research lab, so they actually had pigeons there. Um, some of these pigeons, it was surprising, they lived quite long. Some of the pigeons in that lab were older than me. <laughs> That's I, awesome. <laughs> like, there was one that was born, I figured out that it had been born before I was, you know, several years before I was born, and I, I didn't realize pigeons can live 30 I years. I know, me neither. That's, wow. Yes. Did they, did they have personalities? Did you get to like the pigeons? Was it hard to be in an animal lab? Um, well, it was an adjustment. I mean, and this was in a big city on the East Coast where there were lots of pigeons outside, you know, and we always like, oh, they're everywhere. Get away from me. And, you know, and they're going to the bathroom all over the place and the park benches and such. So we didn't really like pigeons that, that much. But then working in the laboratory, it was, yeah, I mean, it was, I, I, personality-wise, I worked with rats as well um, after that. And I, I, I've definitely recognized personality, personalities in rodents. <laughs> But not, I, I don't recall that with the pigeons, uh, but, but some of them were more docile than others, sure. for sure. Um, and sometimes they, get, they would get, get out, you know, get away from you, <laughs> and we'd be chasing them around in the laboratory. Um, their wings were, were slightly clipped on the ends to keep them from really soaring Taking and hurting and... themselves. Uh, but they, they were tricky to catch when they would get, get loose. But I, my responsibility is really every day I had to weigh them and, and then run them in a test chamber. Uh, where they've been trained to to um, to perform some behavioral tests through through basically learning um, learning kind of like a Skinner box type yes. situation yeah yeah and what were they attempting to show um, I honestly don't know what <laughs> the graduate students were doing I mean these pigeons were in there pecking keys on different schedules of reinforcement and so they were looking at some aspects of that i it, you know that but that was good for me because it was an introduction to how to conduct animal research mm -hmm. animal psychology research um, and and then learning how to how to relate that to experiences and that how it was having in the classroom we read about a lot of experiments but you don't really 
you really can't understand. It's like a job, right? Mm-hmm. You can you can read a description of a job and say, oh, I'm going to love that job, or it's going to be a, it's going to be great, and then you get the job in a, a weekend <laughs> and you can't stand it, right? <laughs> so it, it's a lot like that. You actually get to walk you know walk in the shoes of 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 a researcher in a sense, or a, a junior budding researcher, and and just decide whether it's something that you would like to do. And for me, I I did. I mean, it was something that definitely. Um, sparked further interest in me in pursuing a path in experimental psychology. Excellent. Did you feel, uh, or I should say, how did you, how did you get into that? Was it something that you, you took as a class or was, were you hired? Yeah, that's a great question, Jenna. Um, at, at that, this was at, um, Temple University in Philadelphia and it's a big school. It's a lot like UW-Madison in terms of the size and scope and there were a lot of students there, a lot of psychology students. And I, and I, I honestly will chalk it up largely to luck <laughs> because I had a class that I was really good at, this learning class, and I really liked it. And the textbook was the first textbook I had in college that had no pictures in it. It was a <laughs> small textbook. <laughs> it was a small text, kind of like reading the Bible right. or something. And, and it was, there were short assignments, maybe 10 page assignments each of three days per week that we met, but they were dense. Mm-hmm. So it was my first kind of, probably my first introduction to something that approximated like a journal article. Mm. Uh, and, and, but it was a better, a better way for me to get an easier way for me to, to approximate that because it was a textbook and it was written by an author for, for eh, graduate students, advanced undergraduates sure. at the time. Uh, but I, I found it very, I spent a lot of time reading over and over and over those words and to get good at uh, being able to read that kind of technical language. Mm. And I, I really, I mean, I am, I, my my interests initially lie more in STEM mm-hmm. areas. Um, you know, I know a the lot of biology our biology part. Yeah, and a lot of our psychology students, you know, come from a different you know a different perspective. You know, sure. often it's the helping profession, right? Mm-hmm. So you're thinking about how to apply your ability to be compassionate and care about people and to to help them to improve the quality of their lives, and that's. That's a lot of those, some of those students, but a lot of those students don't necessarily have a firm grounding or interest in STEM. So for me, it was, it was very, um, very much a foundation and probably one of the reasons why I took to the technical aspects of this particular discipline and my interest in working with technology Mm -hmm. in, in the opera chamber Skinner box, uh, laboratory with the pigeons. (laughs) Did you have to? Uh, did you have to apply? Uh, was it a selection process for picking? I guess how competitive was it to, to land one of these? Yeah, I would say for some. So the way they had it set up was, was that every you would have to get a sponsor, a professor to sponsor you, and it was just listed as independent credit or something to that effect, uh, or experiential learning, whatever they called it. I just don't remember. It was years ago, but. The idea is that you go approach the professor and ask them if they'd be willing to take you on for the semester. Uh, because, as I mentioned in that initial class I had, that initial learning class I had, so many students were lost. <laughs> didn't like it. Didn't so. like it. It was it, the, the path was clear for sure. me. Sure. Um, I remember one of my classmates working with a psychology of law professor on her independent uh, credit uh, semesters and. At the end of it, we, we kind of communicated, and I was 
describing the breadth of experience and training that I was getting in this. Uh, and she told me that all she had really done for this professor was make photocopies. Oh, geez. Oh, no. <laughs> that's, yes. that's not great. <laughs> no. So I, I think having somebody who was, and I didn't realize at the time, I mean, this was a professor who had, who had been kind of two steps removed from B.F. Skinner. Right. Um, oh, had wow. been a student at Harvard, worked with Dick Hernstein. Um, and so, and I didn't know it at the time, learned that later. And, <laughs> and I was like, wow, I was in the presence of greatness. <laughs> yes. So he was a mover and a shaker, very knowledgeable. He was, I think his undergraduate degree was in physics. Mm. Uh, yeah. So, and then he made the jump to experimental psychology from there. So uh, really, uh, really, I got, I, I got lucky in that respect because I, when I approached him, I was probably the only student who approached <laughs> him. I think, I think in my third semester working with him, there was another undergraduate who came on board, but the first two semesters, I was the only undergrad. <laughs> so I had all of the attention of all of the grad students by myself. Um, and, and the professor himself, who was very busy, actually didn't have as much interaction with him during the process. We checked in like a few times during the semester, but most of the time it was the graduate students which was nice because they were a lot closer to my age. Mm -hmm. um, they were a lot more relaxed. They acted more like, like students because they were <laughs> students. They were. <laughs> so I could, I could feel relaxed and ask them questions and, and was much more comfortable. Do you think that, um, just to kind of tie it in with how, how we were talking about maybe the honors here, um, would you say that kind of experience you would recommend for people or only people who are going into experimental in particular or how do you kind of see that experience for the broader since her experience was so so poor the other other one yeah I don't think that in that in that program I don't think that was well defined I mean it wasn't an honors program and there weren't there weren't really well-defined expectations <laughs> I remember my my professor saying well you know this would the assumption is that you would write some kind of paper or something like that and really wound up being just a reflection on my experience. And I think even one of those three semesters, I didn't do it. <laughs> and it didn't hurt me. Um, you know, thank goodness, because probably should, as a learning psychologist, you probably should have provided some real consequence. <laughs> some for, real feedback yes. on that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, ding, you know, you should, have, you should have lost some points for that. But I think given that I was one of the only students and I was very, very, um, enthusiastic about what right. I was experiencing. I think he wanted to make sure that, you know, I and wanted to support me, which I, I greatly appreciate. Um, the, yeah, the program here, I mean, I've worked, I'm, I'm an honors faculty uh, or supervisor and uh, honors program supervisor. And I, I believe that um, it's kind of open here. I mean, mm -hmm. I think the first semester typically for a psychology student would be just to write a lit review um, so anybody could do that. I think that's beneficial for anybody. Uh, I've had a, a, a couple of students, three students, I think so far, one of them who didn't quite finish finish collecting data, but um, have had three students actually then go on in the second semester and third semester for a couple of them and propose uh, doing conducting a research project, collecting data, analyzing the data. And I walked them through a lot of that process. Mm -hmm. um, as an experimental psychologist, I have a lot of experience with statistics, statistical mm -hmm. analyses, research methodology, how to, you know, set up an experiment, or even if it's something simple like a like survey, just thinking about all of mm -hmm. the all the details. Methodological choices. Right. <laughs> right. My graduate graduate professor used 
graduate school professor used to always say that you know the devil's in the details and and so you know that's a huge but I like that that's mm -hmm. a technical part of, of experimental psychology that I really gravitate toward mm -hmm. so kind of going back to uh, your transition from undergrad to grad did you know where you wanted to go did you have an idea of what program what was that process like for you yeah, that was an interesting process for me. I actually, because I worked in this in this lab uh, for three semesters, and I, you know, I earned credit. I think it might have been three credit three credits per semester. It took me an extra semester to graduate. I also transferred, but most I think most of my credits transferred, and I also attended a community college. Um, my first summer, between freshman and sophomore year, transferring. Mm -hmm. So, so I was able to to make up for some of the you know, lost credits that possibly didn't transfer. Um, I was in good shape by the end of my, you know, by going into this first year, my sophomore year. But because of these three semesters of elective three credit, <laughs> I wound up having to spend an extra semester in college, which was fine and I didn't care about it. Uh, one of the graduate students I worked with in the laboratory before he started graduate school, who worked um, at, a, at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia hmm. um, on what was called a biobehavioral unit with children with uh, developmental disabilities. They had an inpatient and an outpatient facility. I got a chance to work in the inpatient facility. Oh, wow. Um, so with a bachelor's degree, I was able to do that, get some applied experience. We collected data. I had to present graphical data every day to my supervisor on how um, the behavior that we were trying to manage in our children um, were, were, were changing or, or stabilizing in, in some, some respects. Uh, but it was basically trying to understand what the environmental factors were that were contributing to, to their severe behavior problems. Mm -hmm. uh, most of these children had, uh, were diagnosed with autism. We had one child with uh, fetal alcohol. Um, this, at the time, it was just mm -hmm. FAD or FAE, fetal alcohol exposure, fetal alcohol disorder. Um, and some, we had a few kids with Down syndrome. Uh, but all of them had developmental disabilities. Usually the problem was they couldn't communicate well orally or verbally, mm -hmm. so they developed maladaptive behavior patterns mm -hmm. to communicate what they needed and what they wanted. And of course, over years of having that done, they become teenagers and then can become highly aggressive or highly self-injurious. Um, so these were severe behavior problems, which, which warranted them being in an inpatient facility so we could you know, intensely focus on their, their behavior you know, 60, 70 hours a week. Right, really intense. Yeah, really intensive. So this was between the undergrad and, and when you applied to grad school. Yes. This was that, that interim semester. And Well, it was an interim. It was a, a little over a year I did that. Oh, so okay. I, took a, I took an extra semester to graduate. Wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Actually, I had a friend who got me a job at a bank as a bank teller. <laughs> and I went in and on, on a whim, I, I, would need, I knew that the lab had a printer. I mean, this was back in the early 90s, so having a printer at your house was not the norm. <laughs> um, I didn't even have my own computer at that time. But they had computer equipment in the lab, and I knew them, and they knew me, and they didn't care if I did my homework there. And so I, I came in and needed to print out a resume or something like that uh, for this bank job. And... <laughs> graduate student happened to be there. He said, what are you doing? And I said, I'm printing out this resume. He's like, for what? <laughs> and so he's like, no, you're not going to work in a bank. You didn't just work here for three semesters ago. I'm like, but I don't know what I didn't want to do. I just kind of want to take a little bit of time and get a job. I need to support myself and then think through like my next step. 
And he's like, you should be doing a, that's fine, but you should be doing a job in your field. And right. I'll hook you up with this place I used to work with. And again, more luck. Right. And networking. Networking. Then, yeah. Yeah. Huge networking. Just having, and I, and I would say I'm not a huge, you know, people who say like, oh, it's just networking. That's super easy. You know, it's you just, but it never was easy in, because right. I'm not super extroverted. Mm-hmm. So um, for me to, to for me to like initiate network, but when I know somebody and feel comfortable around them, it's a lot easier to just talk. And, and if they know a lot of people, then all of a sudden you know a lot. Of right, people. their network becomes yours. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So that worked out. I would say that's good advice for someone who maybe views themselves as more introverted. Is like connect with people who have a lot of connections mm-hmm. because you you're right, their connections will become yours. Well, that's excellent. So then you got to work in in the hospital mm-hmm. uh, with these kids. Was it, I guess, how much of it was, did your training in psych prepare you for specifically being in that kind of setting? Did you feel prepared for it or was there a lot of on-the-job kind of things that were surprising? Both. I mean, the data collection element to it um, was great because I already had experience doing that and understood how to apply like a single subject design mm-hmm. to um, because we were doing that with animals in the lab and so I was able to readily adapt that and generalize that that skill to working with kids and following individual kids tracking their behavior um, but there were a lot of other things to learn like what happens when someone kicks you in the shin <laughs> how are you supposed to behave we had to develop yes. these protocols for how to address behavior problems because sometimes the way that you normally would would sort of react to situations like that is part of what's maintaining the right, problem. Right. So and the reinforcement of attention. attention yep. Or, yep. So we we had to be mindful of that and and conscious and aware of like how you know when this happens we're ready to react a certain way. So writing part of that was me working with it. every child was was assigned a team. Initially, I started working as kind of a like a after hours team member, but once once my supervisor caught wind of the fact that like oh you worked in a in a experimental <laughs> in a psychology lab, lab you we're promoting you. <laughs> so it was about two months. I got promoted and was working during the day hours, and I got to carry a beeper and everything. Ooh. It was official. I felt like wow, this is like major responsibility, <laughs> and the pay increase was good, and I. So they were sort of grooming me to try to to try to like go into a position um, like this, and it was a great, very rewarding experience. That actually later on, within the last ten years, actually has 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 gotten me some additional experience um, in this area, uh, working in 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 Madison um, with young adults and adolescents on trying to um, shape up job-related behaviors wow. in, in autistic um, adolescents and adults. So, yeah, so I, some of that early work years later came back to kind of help me um, with some additional consulting work I was doing. Uh, and then, but but after I worked in the ho- like worked in the hospital for a while, I realized it was very, very exhausting. Oh, yes. Great yeah, experience. Burnout and drain, yeah. So I did that for a little over a year and then started focusing on, okay, what, what do I want to do next? And I decided this was a great experience. I love the science, but I really liked working in a laboratory setting. And that was really, and it was essential. I mean, I needed to go through that to get me to that stage. And then the next thing was, well, what do, where do I want to go? I know I want to do more of this learning research. Unfortunately, there aren't a ton of 
Skinnerian psychologists mm-hmm. out there today. Um, and there are very few places in the country. And so the next question was, am I geographically limited? So, and at the time I was like, you know, I was in a relationship and I was like, but uh, she was moving somewhere else and, and, <laughs> and anyway, and we weren't super committed at the time. And so I decided, yeah, all right, I'll apply to some experimental psychology graduate programs, um, some select ones, about six to eight of them, and wound up uh, getting accepted to, I think, a couple of them, and, and uh, took, wound up moving to Auburn University in Alabama, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and while I was there, completed my master's degree, and then continued on to get my PhD in experimental psychology. And was that the school that you were hoping to go go to, or was it... That's a great question, Jen. I'm so glad you <laughs> asked that question. Actually, the answer to that is no. That's not the school I initially wanted to go to. Although, they're, you know, being, being the social creatures that we are, we rationalize our decisions <laughs> after the fact, after right? The fa- motivated reasoning. <laughs> right. So, um, I really wanted to go to uh, West Virginia University. Um, and the nice thing about that there was that they actually pay for your tuition. Oh, wow. Um, yes, that's a big deal. Yes. <laughs> that's not common. But it was not too far from where I lived in, in Philadelphia. And, uh, and there were a lot of people who were doing research in areas that I was interested in and had connections with, with the professor I was working with at Temple. Um, and so, and they were all, the grad students were all helping me to pick, you know, where, mm-hmm. where I should apply, which was immensely helpful. That's a great support Writing letter, too. Yeah. letters of recommendation mm-hmm. from them. It's not like just this one professor, but I had these other graduate students also willing to do that. And, uh, that was, so West Virginia was where I had my eyesight up, my, my eyes set on, um, my sights set on, on going there and, when I interviewed there, in retrospect, I realized the student, graduate students seemed pretty stressed. Mm. Um, and then, but they, they didn't accept me, but they did say that they would um, basically waitlist me for the, pre, the following year, that I could, you know, they would put me up higher on the list for the next year. But I just, I could have stayed in the hospital for another year. Right. I decided not to. Actually went on an interview, like physical interview for that um, that slot in the in their graduate program Auburn called me I talked to them on the phone I never visited there uh the uh, two years after I started they they began doing interviews person interviews but it wasn't they didn't do them before Mm -hmm. that yeah so so I wound up taking like West Virginia Auburn had um, a number of faculty, and that was a key for me because it's like, what if I don't get along with right. like the one person I think I want to work with? <laughs> I'm screwed because there's nothing else right. here for me to do. Right. And in transferring from one grad school to another, that's probably a lot less common. Than, right. You than know, maybe if you were, yeah, yeah, maybe if you were going from like, a, like I finished a master's and then you're going to get a PhD somewhere else. Yes, but. But my intention was to stay in one place, so um, so I had, Auburn was the pre, pretty much this was also I think equally equal to West Virginia had a lot of faculty who were doing different um, you know in, involved in in my area, which was really called the experimental analysis of behavior, which is AKA Skinnerian or mm-hmm. operant conditioning um, research. So that's. 
there were a lot of faculty there to work with. And in fact, when I started at Auburn, I completed my master's degree with one professor and then switched over to work with a different professor for my PhD. And was that right after? Did you enter, was it a terminal master's program and then a PhD is a get your master's on the way to Yes, to get PhD. your master's. I mean, you could have left and some people did after your, your master's. It wasn't, which didn't make sense to me at the time. They probably don't do that now. Um, I know UW's got just the PhD path. Right, right? yeah, there's a, well, yes. Yes, <laughs> but there's ways out of it if you if you want to get out. My, well, this isn't my interview, but my husband did something like that at ASU too. Like he got out at the master's level, the master's even though level. it was a PhD program, so. But I think that's, I think that's less not. less common. Yes, it's less They don't common. like it. No, they don't <laughs> they like don't it. They don't like it. Right, that. that's the other thing too, is you want people on your side when you leave and they're cheering you on and helping you with further network. You don't want them, you know, being like shaking their head about, yeah, that's the master's <laughs> student. So, but you know, there are terminal master's programs that are specific for people who want master's degrees. Right. And we actually started right before I graduated with my PhD, they started a master's in behavior analysis program, which I thought- Like an applied behavior analysis? Applied behavior analysis, yep. So I I thought, wow, that's really cool. If they had started that a little bit earlier, I might've thought about doing that. Right, tie into your work at the hospital too, I I would imagine. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So, but I, and and I did have some coursework in applied behavior analysis as a graduate student, and actually got a chance later on to teach an undergraduate course in applied behavior analysis, which was super cool. but yeah, I, I, I took, had this, I had this opportunity um, to, to work. I just went into this program with the idea and expectation that I would be completing mm-hmm. the PhD. And so I was in it for the long haul. Uh, the reason why I switched over had nothing to do with me not getting along with anybody. Mm. My master's um, professor, he wound up moving to another college. Oh, okay. And mm-hmm. so he kind of he kind of prepared me and helped me. And we were collaborating with the person I moved to anyway before right. that. Uh, but it was very different kind of research. Maybe it broadened, too. I mean, the nice thing about that is then you get a couple of different perspectives, even within the grad program. Exactly. Yeah. Did you know what you wanted to do when you graduated with your PhD, or were you going to figure that out when you got there? <laughs> yeah, I think I think along the way, um, especially working on my on my dissertation, I had the impression that I would be working at a university um, with a with a research lab, uh, a four year university. Mm-hmm. Work at, with a re, with a research laboratory and also teaching, and that was kind of what I was looking for. And I actually did have initially had a position doing that. Um, really, you know, at the time I moved to Alabama, it was like, nope, I'm not geographically limited. And then at the time, I was ready to, you know, finishing up graduate school and and moving out into the workplace and start my career. It was like, wait a minute, now I have a family. <laughs> now I am. Yes. yes. Now I'm geographically limited. And so that changed a lot of the trajectory of where I wound up and the decisions, subsequent decisions that I made mm-hmm. in, in my career. So where I envisioned being, I got a small taste of that for one year in a, in a sort of a, a, a visiting 
um, assistant professor position mm -hmm. in Indiana, and and then um, they actually offered me a position after that to stay on, but we we had to move to <laughs> to Madison. So um, so then I wound up you know kind of starting a career in research rather than teaching. And so what did you do in Madison? What was your research experience here like? Um, it was varied <laughs> because my, so my being, being in the background of behavior analysis, um, there really wasn't a lot of that in Madison. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I knew, knew UW was huge, heard great things about UW-Madison. Um, I had a colleague here who actually got his PhD from Temple University with the same person I worked with oh, wow. in the Pigeon Lab. <laughs> so yeah, and we connected at the hospital at one point. So he was a new student, graduate student. He came over to, to, to I, for a class project or something to, to assist with what we were doing. And that's when I met him. Didn't really remember him much later, but then ran into him at a conference and we started talking. And then when I would go home and visit my family, I would go and check in at Temple with mm -hmm. my, you know, my professor and some of the grad students were still there. And, and this student was there. And lo and behold, he had a very similar experience to me. His wife was, uh, was in a different, different field, not psychology. Um, she wound up getting a job at UW-Madison, and so he wound up here. He's so, here, too. <laughs> so when I wound up coming up here, I, I contacted him, and he was able to connect me with a sleep research lab, which I thought sounded interesting, um, but I needed a job. Right, right, at that point. <laughs> so, But it was a lab, yeah. and it was at UW, and there were a lot of resources, and so that was something that I really um, I really checked out. And, and I had the supervisor was super nice. Um, so we had a really good relationship. Um, it was a very different experience in grad school. I mean, my uh, the the person I worked with on my on my dissertation. I mean, just probably one of the most sound researchers I've ever worked mm. with. Um, so it was kind of like downhill from there uh. in terms of like just the the understanding and the level of attention to detail and and the. Interesting. Yeah. And that wasn't very high in the, the lab you were working with. No. When I came to UW, and then I worked in in two other labs. We collaborated, the sleep lab, we collaborated with another lab. Um, and then um, that lab, actually, that we collaborated with, really good stuff really there. Good. I mean, that was definitely on par, if not exceeding what I experienced in graduate school. And my my advisor there, my 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 supervisor for my PhD, he knew of this this person's research and was like, yeah, like one of the top neuroscientists in the world. Oh, so, so. it was in neuroscience, the yes. the lab, yes, the yes. other lab that yeah. you were working with. Yeah, I'm sorry, I forgot to mention that. Yes, all of that was like the graduate students working in those labs were in the neuroscience training program. Um, so I was kind of making a little bit of a leap, but um, and I had a little bit of background in physiological. Um, psychology. Um, Chris, my supervisor for for my grad for my, my PhD, he um, he had he taught our brain behavior seminar. Mm -hmm. So I learned a lot from him anyway. He had a great you know extensive background in, in all the brain stuff in addition to the behavior stuff. Uh, but um, but I wasn't by no means an expert in neuroscience. Mm -hmm. So I did get that additional like training and experience, which was fantastic. So even though maybe the, the research wasn't quite up to the standards right. <laughs> that I was expecting, uh, I did get a lot of new um, and more brain-based science experience. Yeah. 
So in that, uh, in the sleep lab and, and in this other lab that you were collaborating with, did you work on like fMRI studies or is it just EEG stuff or what kind of equipment? Yeah, great. Stuff. Yeah, that's an excellent question. Yeah, <laughs> we were we were using EEG because it was an animal lab. All of this was animal research. Oh, oh, um, the sleep lab was animals. Yes. Oh, what kind of an- this is rats? Rats and um, sparrows. Oh my goodness, birds again. <laughs> yes, birds again. Birds sleep. Sparrows don't live thirty years. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they only live a few years. <laughs> Log that away. Like rats. Huh. Like they're more like rats. Um, but uh, this, the, the sparrows, I don't really need to go into too much. They were migrating sparrows, too. So there's a whole, like, hour-long discussion I can go into. This was also on NPR at some point, I oh, think. Oh, wow. Maybe. Um, we were interviewed by NPR at one point. Um, I don't know if it ever made it. I don't think oh. I, don't think I got interviewed. But, but the, my, the professor, the uh, principal investigator, did. And they were in the lab, and I watched a lot of that. I don't know if any of that ever got published. Probably if it had, I would know look, about though. Yeah, I never ah, thought about it, yeah. but it goes to show like how invested I was in, <laughs> in what we were doing in that lab. It was interesting, and I liked tinkering with the equipment and, and developing behavioral testing for them. And but I, I, I was more of a technician, I think, in ah, that okay. role as opposed to like really contributing Designing to the ideas. And, mm-hmm. and and part of it was it was hard. I mean, the principal investigator was trying to create a, a like an animal model of of investigating mania in bipolar disorder. Interesting. So that is interesting because that's something that's really hard to do wow. and I commend her for for doing that. It just wound up being a very slippery um, kind of model to develop and I don't think it quite fully blossomed into what she I maybe I shouldn't speak for her but what I had envisioned. Right, right. Interesting. So, so during that experience, this was a, a paid experience as you were searching for jobs elsewhere, or were you planning on staying, or how did that? Progress? Yeah, I was. I was a researcher. Um, I, I would say researcher. It's kind of how I like ge- generically label what I did at UW because I worked in a few labs, and they have different titles, right. of course, like research assistant, research scientist. Re- I, I, I had each of those titles at some point or another, but at this in this capacity, I was in what was called a postdoc. Okay, so that so was specifically a, a postdoc position. Yes, and so it was a five year max position that I actually did time out on, um, and then they did have to hire me on as a research assistant or research something. Uh, but but that's the position was a postdoc position, and so it didn't have really benefits or mm-hmm. you know it was kind of like graduate school plus more more you're like when are you ever gonna get out of school Elliot <laughs> that was a lot of the flack I got from my family you know you're you're in your 30s and you're still it's still school you, you you know you started in your 20s or you started in your teens and you're still in, in, in college I'm like well I did take that one year working at the hospital four and a half years working at the hospital so you have to deduct that from but still we're in there we're, we're in our 30s I I some, so that was a, a postdoc position. Um, the other thing we were doing in there, we actually had, we did some EEG with the sparrows, um, surprisingly, because that's not something you usually think of. Like, but birds, well, we had a biologist who worked in the lab who was awesome. I mean, he actually works in Germany now, and um, he has, uh, he has I, I don't know if he's still working there. I'm assuming he does, but he left that lab to take a, a really sweet job because he was a brilliant biology scientist sure um he has apparently has a uh, a flight like a wind tunnel 
oh. he's interested in studying sleep in, in birds in flight. So birds. I had no idea they slept while they were flying. Well, that's what he was investigating. <laughs> that's amazing. That's what he was interested in investigating. He did some really interesting work that I actually do present to some of my undergraduates in the intro psych class. <laughs> uh, but he he was very interested in birds to begin with. He likes to look at birds and go you know go around and birding and stuff. And uh, he he was a biologist and very interested in sleep. So he put his two loves together. Right. So I kind of learned from that. Like oh, that's not a bad idea. Take two loves that you yeah. have and put them together and create a career based on that. And yeah. I, so he's a great, like, reflecting back on his, how he got where he was, uh, has really been helpful for me in turn, kind of, you know, self-reflecting, what, what do I want to do with my career? Yeah. And um, making a path for yourself that might not have been the, yeah. <laughs> just one path, combine them. And he inspired me to move on and try some different kinds of, of uh, you know, Different, different areas of research. I wound up leaving there working in a fetal alcohol lab that was actually in nutritional sciences. Mm. It wasn't in psychology. There wasn't, the idea there was I was going to bring some behavioral testing to them, their lab, which they didn't typically do, and they were going to teach me to do some more, like, like I learned how to use an electro, elect, electron microscope, mm. um, electron microscope, I don't know what you mm-hmm. call it. But it, it basically looking at cell, we, I had slices of like the cerebellum. We were looking for oh, wow. cells, cell death in um, as a result of, of fetal alcohol exposure. So they were teaching me some high le- level molecular right. procedures. We did like um, MRN, mRNA gels. Oh, cool! Um, I was learning to do all this stuff in the lab, and it was very, it was, it was kind of frustrating too because it takes a lot of time to do this and if you mess the slightest little thing mm-hmm. up temperatures raw so but it, it's back to my roots and stem mm-hmm. uh, but I ultimately left that lab because there just wasn't enough behavioral stuff for mm-hmm. me to sort of help me launch my career um, and that was a I was a research scientist at the end of that position and then I wound up going back to the the building that I initially worked in the sleep research and working uh, with a, a psychiatrist who was doing some research on um, child anxiety. Oh. So we were actually working with kids there, collecting cortisol through spit, um, <laughs> exposing them to kind of these social stressors that they weren't expecting, which was kind of cool because yeah. I had a love for social psychology as an yeah. undergrad, and now I actually get to do some <laughs> social psych research. Uh, but that's also related to like anxiety disorders, right. which is what my principal investigator treated. She actually saw... She's a licensed uh, psychiatrist who actually saw um, patients and and clients and treated them. And so she needed somebody who was more uh, research savvy uh, to to work on sort of uh, conducting her research. And but that's like one of the things that I learned in this whole process of research is that you have to be thinking ahead about how you can fund your own self. Oh gosh, yes, yes, that issue. So, so were you involved in grant applications and all that kind of thing? Were you contingent on the grants? Okay. Yes. Yeah, that's a, that's a big deal. It Um, is a big deal. And something that, you know, to, to address a question about, you know, what I, one thing, I mean, there's probably several things I can think of that would be, I wish I had known, but, mm-hmm. but one of the things for sure is 
you know, as for how how amazing my my PhD experience was. I mean, if I had to think of all my research experience, that was my favorite. Mm -hmm. It to me, I mean, I got a lot of publications off of that, uh, which I feel like made contributions. Mm -hmm. So to early on in your life to be able to feel like you've made some kind of you you've made a contribution to society, yeah, like in the scientific community, it it feels good. You know, some people like get to that late in life if at all and you know early in my career to be able to have that and feel like yeah i want more of that uh, but it, for for as great as that experience was one thing that i was not taught even though the research that i did was based on an nih grant mm-hmm. i was not involved in the process of grant uh, writing right. i wasn't taught how to do that i wasn't i didn't even get a chance to sort of look over the shoulder and say oh i see what you're doing i think there was a lot of a lot more control there in the mm-hmm. personality and so um, later on in my postdoc I discovered a lot of the graduate students were er- learning that at UW. Interesting. They were learning about the grant writing process and the importance of it. I had I was oblivious. Yeah. Till I got to that to that postdoc but then everybody said oh you'll get it you'll get it you'll get a grant because you're working with so-and-so but at the time I started the postdoc yeah, the economy was great. Right. Within a few years, you know, we're starting to approach that housing bubble of 2008. Within a few years, um, it was like, no. Right. So I had to go through this process of trying to fund my own position when my postdoc ran out. Mm-hmm. And I got rejected on grants um, and and then actually had an experience where I got, I got they score your grants, essentially, mm-hmm. and you learn from the score whether you're actually going to get funded or not. And if you don't, you can at least see how close your score was to funding mm-hmm. and then resubmit. Right. You know, revise and resubmit and see if you can get scored up better so that you can actually get funded. And and I had actually one grant application, one of the final grant applications that I put in came back close to funding. I resubmitted it. And the next time it came back further away from funding. <laughs> and oh, it just was, a, yeah, it was kind of like, it was reminiscent or representative of the, of the way the economy was going, mm-hmm. that there was just less funding. This was through the National Institutes of Health. Um, so NIH is a big source of funding for, for psychology, mental health research. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was no different. I, you know, I've done, there was some research at Auburn that I didn't even talk about that involved working with dogs. Um, <laughs> that was, that was uh, DARPA-funded work. Oh, wow, um, really? Yeah. Yeah, it was Can you tell us what they were uh, attempting to train the dogs to do? Okay, so rewind here. Yeah, back rewind. To... Sorry, DARPA, the working for the government of Department of Defense. Yes. So what? Uh, yeah. So <laughs> secret. Department so going back several stuff. years here, to while I was working on my dissertation. So one of the way because I didn't get uh, my tuition paid for at Auburn like I was hoping to get it paid for at West Virginia. Um, they didn't offer that at Auburn. So I had to make a decision, like, should I go? And right. they said, well, we can offer you a small stipend for for being a teaching assistant. And later on, I went on to be a research assistant. And I worked as a research assistant. Um, the pay was horrible. I mean, <laughs> but it's is. better than no pay. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I worked, as a, I worked as a research assistant later on um, in a lab. One of our psychology professors was... Uh, conducting research at the vet school at Auburn um, with dogs. He was interested in determining a bunch of various aspects of, of um, detecting ex- primarily explosive substances or um, illicit substances. Interesting. So, so like the airport bomb sniffing dog kind of things. Yes. Interesting. Yes. 
And so, you were helping train them to do that? We had, like in, like in uh, other situations in, in, in behavior analysis where you have like opportunities to applied work with my work with the kids in the hospital mm -hmm. versus my work with pigeons in the laboratory. Right, right, right. We had both um, aspects here. So we had people who were actually doing applied work with dogs in the field. And then, which is not what I did because I'm a lab right. guru. <laughs> so I wanted to work with the dogs in the lab. And we actually had these giant operant chambers, Skinner boxes, that were built by one of our, uh, one of the, initially it was a graduate student at Auburn, um, a more senior level graduate student to me, expert mind in developing like all of the technical aspects mm -hmm. and he actually still works there and he's done some he's i've heard him on for sure i've heard him on on npr <laughs> um but and in other and on podcasts he's doing some really fascinating research with dogs uh, but the but what we were doing is we were interested in learning like primarily well what i was what i was tasked with was a procedure where we were trying to determine what are the chemical elements, um, specific chemical like components, we'll call them constituents. So a chemical's made up of a lot of different, you know, molecules are made up mm -hmm. of different elements, right? So um, if carbon and oxygen and hydrogen and whatnot, uh, nitrogen and sulfur and so on. Um, so we actually had a chemical lab too, where we had some chemistry graduate students <laughs> collaborating with us. Um, and they would uh, look at something like, I remember one of the tasks we were working on was um, landmines. Oh. So we actually had landmines in the lab. <laughs> Live landmines? <laughs> no. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but, I mean, they weren't rigged to go off to detonate, but they did contain all of the explosives. Oh, gosh. Yes. <laughs> safety protocols yes. first i hope yes <laughs> so what we did was we had we trained a dog to stick its nose into this open hole on the end of the chamber and it's like a size of a dog house right? right and it learned to do this we, we we and i worked with a lot of undergraduates to help them to they they the undergrads did a lot of the grunt work where they had sure. to train but it was it was very experiential for them right. they had to train the dogs to stick their nose into this opening hole and we had a glass cone on the back of it that was sealed so we could pump and it had a very small hole on the very back end of this glass you know chemistry where that we could then hook a line up to and and very systematically pump air and or push air into it so a light would come on or a signal would come on they would stick their nose into this hole and they had to hold it in there for at least five seconds and they learn to do that because they get a food treat everywhere sure. you know randomly they get a food treat just randomly so they didn't get overfilled but they would randomly get a food treat um, and that would motivate them to to continue to engage in this pr process so initially what we did was we had one each t each trial we'd have one uh one One of two possible, initially, we had one of two possible odors. One could be the landmine odor. So we'd, pu we'd pass, pass air by the landmine, continue on through the, the tube, mm -hmm. and would be delivered in a small dose into the air space of this cone. The other trial, like another trial might be, it's just a clean air flask, and we just blow clean air in. 
And so what they, we train them to do is they have two levers. Initially, they have two, and later on, they have three. This gets complicated. <laughs> but they, if, for example, they, they smell the landmine, they pull their, their nose out, and they press with their nose, typically. They could use their paw, too, but dogs usually will use their nose because it's about head level right. <laughs> at the same level as where the hole is, but off to the right or off to the left. If they smelled the landmine, they would pull their nose out and press the right lever because that's the lever they had been trained on. They get food that's correct. Mm-hmm. So you smell landmine, hit the right lever. That means that the right lever is correct when you're only going to ever get that. food when you smell the landmine and hit the right lever. If you smell clean air, you don't smell anything, you should be hitting the left lever because that's the only that's the correct lever to hit if you have any hope of getting food. If you hit the right lever for clean air or the left lever for the landmine, you're never getting food. <laughs> so the next thing we did was we, the chemistry lab would break down this landmine into its constituent components. Like, okay, we could separate it out into... Um, I know, like we did, we did dynamite also. Um, I know ammonium nitrate is nitrate is one of the one of the chemical constituents. So we were able, for example, to test the individual elements or constituents without having them all mixed together. When they're mixed together, they're explosive. Right. You're not right. going to take a landmine to the mall or the airport or a stadium. Right. And but the chemicals together and mix them. Yeah. So if it's just a constituent by itself without the presence of these other chemicals would never explode. We can use them to train in airports that are Mm -hmm. full of people or stadiums that are full of people or malls where people are shopping. Um, You don't have to clear out these spaces to actually. So that was, that was a big part of what we were doing was to determine what, what they might be able to hit on. So that's the next part of it was we had a third cone or a third chamber uh, where we could pump air into the constituent. So we could present the constituent into the hole. And there was a middle lever. Now, the dog would learn, we trained the dog to hit the middle, middle lever if it's like, I, that doesn't smell like landmine, and it's not clean air. Mm. So it could hit the middle Somewhere lever. Somewhere in between. And randomly, we would, we, would, we would provide food for that, but it was, it was also random. Um, if they hit the if they hit the middle lever, they essentially were telling us what they smell by where they press. So if yeah. if they press the middle lever, we're like, okay, they can smell that that chemical substance that came out of the landmine, but they're telling us that it doesn't smell like landmine. Mm-hmm. So if they were to try to be detecting that out in public, they probably wouldn't gravitate toward it. Right. But if they do smell something and they hit the right lever but it's not the landmine. What they're telling us is that, ah, that's a chemical component of the landmine that really is drawing their attention mm-hmm. to it, and they're hitting on it mm-hmm. through their olfactory process. So when they hit the right lever, we could identify there's a substance we can actually try. Some substances, there, you know, it would be some of the time they would hit the right, right lever. Sometimes they'd hit the middle lever. Maybe even on occasion they'd hit the left lever. But... Um, but the idea was if like a proportion or high percentage was hitting that right lever, you've got something you could work with. Yeah, well, that's really interesting. So, so to kind of pull it back in the takeaway from, from all of that is that the funding sources can come from a lot of different places, even if they're not necessarily within psychology itself, or even if they are, but, but they're being used in different areas of the, of the world or the government or, um, so that's, that's really interesting work. Um, what, 
after all of that, after all of the lab experiences and all of that, what, what led you to teaching instead of lab work? Sure. Well, I, I would say when I was young, I, I kind of always had this idea of teaching. I mean, part of it was kind of silly. Like, I just like the idea of trying to move spaces around. So, you know, I had teachers in elementary school who would, you know, you'd show up one day and like, oh, the desks are rearranged. You, know? and <laughs> you I wanted a classroom that you could decorate. Yeah, I like this. <laughs> I like the strike. Right. I wanted to create these like learning spaces. And so I think as a young, young child, I was always kind of, but that's sort of not a functional reason to teach. I really didn't have any interest at that time in like educating anybody. Right. It's more like, what can I do to play around with classrooms? Uh, but, but as I got into becoming a teaching assistant at Auburn, uh, I, I really liked that and felt like, yeah, I definitely want teaching to be an element or a component of my, my career path. Um, and so when I did finish grad school, actually in my last year of graduate school, when I was working um, as a visiting assistant professor, I actually was what we call ABD, mm-hmm. uh, all but all but doctorate or all, all but dissertation. All but dissertation. <laughs> so they hired me on because it was a visiting position and they, they had that in the ad that we would accept or consider ABDs. Mm-hmm. I hadn't defended my dissertation yet. I hadn't defended my dissertation yet, but I was, you know, was finished collecting data. I just needed, so that, but that was wound up being a very stressful year. I had to commute to that teaching position. Um, a teaching job for a year while trying to finish up my dissertation. Right. It didn't really kind of go according to plan, and I wound up moving to Madison before I actually was able to finish and defend uh, successfully. But uh, but teaching, I knew I really did want to teach. Uh, coming to Madison initially, like I didn't view, I didn't really think about, I don't know why I didn't really think about don't have an answer for that. I don't know why I didn't think about like I should go be looking be looking for a teaching position in Madison. Mm-hmm. It was more like I should do some research, and there were a couple other places in the country we could have wound up um, for family reasons. Um, one of them was Rochester, New York, and my my supervising um, professor for my dissertation. He wound up Chris. He wound up uh, he he did his postdoc there, I believe, and. And he was really trying to push me in that direction. Sure. But it just didn't work <laughs> out for our family in terms of us both finding work um, that kind of was was satisfying enough for us. So uh, we wound up here, and I didn't teach. Um, it wasn't until I took a position in the UW system teaching, um, again, for another year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was not like a position that I would have an opportunity to teach and do research. Mm-hmm. It was just teaching. Just teaching, because yeah. it was within the UW schools, but not... At a research one, yeah, it was at it was at Whitewater, yes. So I mean, there there is research. There would have been potentially research opportunities there, but it wasn't a tenure track position. Mm-hmm. And you know, by tenure tenure track, we 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 mean usually you get that whole package deal. Like they're going to give you lab space, or mm-hmm. if you don't do like like experimental lab work, you might have like interview space if you're doing interview research or something mm-hmm. like that. But you have some dedicated space. Um, as as a as, as someone getting hired into a position like that, and plus you, plus your your teaching as well, um, and that wasn't that kind of position. It was just a full time faculty position mm-hmm. teaching, and that's all you would do is teach four classes a semester. And so, but there would have been opportunities probably to collaborate with um, some of the tenure track faculty had I chosen to 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 do that. Um, but I only stayed there a year. And so, how did you end up here? <laughs> well, that was a commute. I lived in Madison, or I live in Madison, um, and to commute to Whitewater was kind of challenging. It mm. was about 30, no, 
hour drive each way. Mm-hmm. You know, we're talking four or five days a week. That adds up. Um, I still had young kids. Mm-hmm. And um, it wasn't really working out too well in terms of managing, like, work-life balance. Right. And so I wound up leaving that position uh, a couple of years later. Started working at Madison College as a part-timer. And now you are our newest yes. full-timer. And now I'm a full-time awesome. uh, member of the psychology department and really excited to, to be here in this capacity and and continuing to use like all of my, my breadth and wealth of experience yeah, to yeah. try to, you know, to, to, to uh, inspire um, <laughs> and, and to create awareness about psychology in the students I get a chance to yeah. teach. That's wonderful. Um, I'd say probably the, the just wrap-up question would be anything else, any other advice that you have for, for students thinking about psychology or thing, things on your path that you reflected on that either <laughs> worked out well for you or didn't? Yeah, I think the things that worked out well for me were connecting with somebody. Mm-hmm. So for our psychology students, they're going to go to transfer to a four-year college. Um, I would highly, highly suggest that you get involved in some kind of lab research, mm-hmm. research some kind of research, no matter what it is that they're doing. So if, if, the, if the, you take a class with a professor and you really enjoy the topic, even if it's not like an experimental topic mm-hmm. per se, um, check in with them, see what they're doing, what opportunities there are. They may even have other suggestions for you. Uh, that was invaluable for me, having that initial connection with a professor. Um, and he wasn't like, he was much older than me, too. He wasn't mm-hmm. like super, super friendly, but he wasn't not approachable. Right, right. So it took some gumption on my part to really kind of say, hey, do you teach any other classes? Because right. I really, and my students sometimes ask me mm-hmm. this, but I'm sure mm-hmm. yours do as well. Like, what else do you teach, Jenna? Right, right. <laughs> And yeah, reaching out to, to faculty is important too. It's and, very and making important. those connections, making yourself stand out because you've made that personal connection with them. And I remember, I you know, kind of just sort of as a side note to all of that, and I, I kind of you know, I kind of contextualized it. I sort of, in some ways, lucked into it. It was like I lucked into one thing, but that luck led to some more luck, and led to some more luck, right. and then it was like, okay, well, there were probably some decisions in there I'm <laughs> overlooking too that were on my part, but. But the luck led to an opportunity for me to make a decision and open some doors. Uh, and I took advantage of those right. for sure. And that's on me. You know, I, right. I took the initiative. You have to walk through the doors. <laughs> They're open. You got to walk through. <laughs> exactly. Well, I had a classmate, really good, you know, good, uh, good friend that I, I connected with. Um, at least, at, you know, I would say like as a classmate, not like we didn't hang out or anything like that. But we, we took classes together. We sat next to each other a lot. And we talked in, in the hall and ate lunch together sometimes. And. And, uh, you know, we knew each other fairly well as, you know, I would say like a, 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 an early version of a colleague, mm-hmm. right? And I remember walking, I was in a mall at one point or another while I was working in this lab as an undergrad and I was getting ready to graduate and um, he said to me, no, actually it wasn't that, it wasn't the lab, I apologize, it was working in the hospital and because it was afterwards mm-hmm. and, and I said, I said, or he's, he was working at a, um, like a men's uh, suit shop. Sure. You know, like they sell dress, dress suits and ties and do tailoring and things like that. And he's all dressed up nice and neat, clean, clean cut looking. You know, that's kind of not how we looked at, at, at <laughs> on college. We had long hair and stuff and, you know, we're kind of grungy. Um, but he's all clean cut and he, he was standing outside of the, of the store at the mall, like a lot of people do when there's no business and right. trying to attract 
potential customers. And he was like, oh, hey, Elliot. And I was with, I was with uh, you know, a couple of my friends. And, and I went over and talked to him. And, and he said, yeah, where are you working? And I told him I'm working at the hospital. And he was just flabbergasted. Like, mm. how did you get this job? How did you yeah. find this opportunity? And it was like in that moment, like, well, I worked in this lab and met some people. And so I would say definitely um, you've got to make those connections early on. Um, And they start at Madison College. We can help connect you with other people. And we're also not bashful and we'll go to bat for you. Even Mm -hmm. if they're people you transfer to their college. I mean, I know I can speak for myself. I'm more than happy to reach out to some strange faculty member in a psychology (laughs) department somewhere else and introduce myself and introduce a student Mm -hmm. to that to that person. I have no qualms about doing that. Uh, but I think that getting that ball rolling sooner rather than later, and really once you definitely, once you get to your four-year institution, you need to approach somebody who you connect with, you connect with a topic, find a way to get involved. I, by your by second semester junior year, I would highly recommend that, you know, if you don't have anything set up or you're not thinking about it or immersed in something by that point, you really need to be getting on the stick because mm-hmm. You want to you want to go into your senior year with some kind of experiential opportunity for mm-hmm. yourself, even if that means finding a job. Right. Like if you're working as a line therapist or something like right. that. Right. Um, doing that alongside of your work and that can be valuable. Plus, you get letters of recommendation. Right. From or volunteer place. activities, even if you can, to to be helpful. Yeah. Yeah. So that's definitely something that worked out really well for me. Um, you know, something that, that probably didn't work out well for me um, in retrospect, even though I had a little bit of, fortunate to have a little bit of experience doing service, but you know, psychology is kind of like that research and service. Right, right. And so going with the, with, the, with the research and the grant work, even my undergraduate, um, my undergraduate mentor in the Pigeon Lab, he wound up getting driven out of his laboratory um, yeah, after I graduated from graduate school, he got driven out because he wasn't doing grant-funded research. Right. It was used to be able to do research right. in psychology. That, that's why we learned all these things from Bandora and Skinner. Right, and, right. You know, the classic research. Just that, because we wanted research, not because yeah, it was making money. For the yeah. sake of research. Right. And that, is, <laughs> unfortunately, doesn't exist anymore. You know, it's like, what can you offer? Mm-hmm. You know, and the university setting is that, you know, yeah, we'll give you lab space, but you need to fund your own research. Mm-hmm. You need to even, if you need more time for research, you even need to buy your teaching time out so we can hire adjuncts mm-hmm. to teach your class. So it's all money now. And that's right. one thing that probably changed over the course of long, my long academic right. educational career. Uh, that that extended into my 30s. You know, a lot of things changed during that time, and that's probably a little atypical. Most people will probably not tolerate being in school for that long. <laughs> but um, but I would say it's one thing looking back that I am now, like, my eyes are more wide open mm-hmm. about is, hmm, more service would have been helpful because when the, when, you know, the economy tightened up right. and I couldn't fund my own research and I ultimately wound up out of a job mm-hmm. uh, or at least I wound up losing. I went to Whitewater because my that grant funding started shriveling mm-hmm. up and I got bumped down from a 40 hour position to a 30 hour right. position. So the writing was on the wall. Right. I need to go find something else. This isn't going to work. The money's going away. Mm-hmm. I don't have a way to fund myself. So if I had had more service 
Um, but there's also that teaching part of it, right, right. that I'm leaving out right, of it, ironically. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the teaching part of it, too. And so to me, it was like I wanted to go and I viewed, you know, I viewed the, the teaching element of it. it. In Madison, it's very, there's so many masters and PhD. It's great being here, right? Right, right. It's a very well-educated city, which is tough to get a job. In I love that. that I love reason. living in an environment <laughs> right, like I that. Too. But that's the, the flip side, you know, it's like the it's the double-edged sword, right. right? The other part of it is it's super competitive. Right. So right. like if if you decided, if a person decided like I'm going to get my master's or my PhD and I want to do experimental research, um, you know, and I'm going to go to Appalachia State University mm-hmm. um, in, you know, what I, I've never been there. I understand it's beautiful <laughs> and, it, but it's, it's, you know, it's in, it, it's in Boone, North Carolina right. in right. the mountains and it's kind of a remote area. Mm-hmm. And so, and I would even say Auburn to some extent, um, although in the immediate Auburn area, it's, but it's not like UW right. there. It's not a huge research one powerhouse. Mm-hmm. That there are lots of opportunities uh, to to do research and teach in places if you're willing to move around and explore mm-hmm. your geographical positioning. But obviously, if you're like, I'm in a family with two working right. working professionals, or that's something you think you're going to do in the future, you have to well, probably you know, keep an eye on that because mm-hmm. if you wind up in a, a place that provides more opportunities for both, both in the relationship, then that's, you may have to make compromises. Mm-hmm. You may not find what you want, but the service part of it, that's always going to remain. That's everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in the worse the economy gets, it seems like the more, the more therapy <laughs> the more and <laughs> counseling that people need. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's completely fair. So having more service experience I think I, I wish I would have gotten so I, I'm glad that grateful that I had some but I don't I don't have any kind of licensure mm-hmm. or I don't have like a, a BCBA I, I, I thought about trying to go and get that I would I would say having those extra things in your back pocket are, are good to do they're great for experiential and they'll you know experiential reasons they'll contribute also to your um, just to your overall breadth of, of, of training and mm-hmm. what you'll be able to bring to whatever career position you find yourself in and flexibility and in case things change exactly (laughs) excellent well thank you thank you so much for sharing your experiences has been awesome i love i love doing this because i love hearing about your story and uh, i know the students will too so thank you very much for your time uh thank you to the listeners for sticking with us and we hope that you join us on the next episode of psych path pod